Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. The citizens of Hong Kong are rising up against the Chinese government. Massive, massive protests have rocked the wealthy city in recent days with one goal in mind, preserving Hong Kong's unique civil liberties in the face of Beijing's growing authoritarianism. That's today on Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Zach Beecham, here with Jen Williams and Alex Ward. Hello. Hey. All right, Alex. uh, These protests highlight something really important, right? Hong Kong is quite different from mainland China. Tell our listeners why. So in the 1800s, Britain, in a war, basically took control of Hong Kong. That led to them actually giving it back to China in 1997. But there was a caveat to that agreement, right? So what they said was like, here, Hong Kong is part of China, but it will be quasi-independent for about 50 years, which means that Hong Kong is supposed to operate somewhat on its own, if not mostly on its own, until 2047. And that's what's made it so unique in in all of China. It's become a safe haven for protest, for freedom of expression, and and for industry. It's it's been a place where it's traditionally like the the arm of Beijing has not had any chance to really govern what happens inside that city. Okay, so that's the backstory. And then back in February of this year, the Hong Kong government started to consider this new amendment that was going to basically allow extradition to countries with which they don't already have an extradition agreement. So, for example, Taiwan or mainland China. The issue here is that if you commit a crime in Hong Kong under current law, you can't be extradited to mainland China despite them being technically part of the same country. The reason is that the legal systems are so different that Hong Kong's Citizens, rightly, I think, believe they wouldn't get a fair trial in mainland China if they were extradited there. What kicked off discussion of amending the extradition law is a pretty gruesome case. So a man from Hong Kong allegedly killed his girlfriend while on vacation in Taiwan. Now he's back in the city, and that has bothered the Hong Kong government, saying that they can't extradite him to Taiwan to face trial or to, you know, face (laughs) his crimes, his alleged crimes. And so This is the argument you keep hearing the Hong Kong government make, which is like there is a loophole. There are people who commit crimes elsewhere, come back to Hong Kong, and we can't send them to face justice. And so this is sort of the debate that you're hearing. You're hearing on one side the Hong Kong government say, we need to fix this loophole with the new amendments. And and the critics of this are saying, 
Well, what's really happening here is that this is just a naked attempt from Beijing to be able to silence any of its critics that live in Hong Kong. The important thing to understand is that the head of Hong Kong currently is aligned with the Chinese government in Beijing. So it's difficult to separate out the intentions here and and probably honestly impossible. So the vote on the law was scheduled for Wednesday, but this kicked off massive protests, like big ones of people concerned that people from Hong Kong would be extradited to mainland China for political offenses. And we actually got some tape from the protesters. We're keeping them anonymous for safety's sake, and we altered some of their voices, or they altered some of their voices, out of fear that the Chinese government would come for them, even after just talking on American podcast. Hello, Vox. I'm sat here uh, at the protest on the front line with the cops 100 feet away from me. It's nearly midnight now in Hong Kong. The reason why I'm protesting is because this extradition law opens up a dangerous backdoor for China to enable them to take and arrest, extradite anyone they want, anyone that is against them, anyone that voices out against the uh, Communist Party. We fear that the, the Communist government in China can exploit that and send whoever doesn't agree with them to China and then have them be disappeared. In Hong Kong, We've been enjoying lots of rights and they've been part of our identity and core values. In waves of events like this, extradition law amendment, we see our rights and values eroding. There is a 2047 Sino-British agreement which is meant to keep Hong Kong's autonomy um, safe until 2047. This has been pissed all over on and this is why I'm here. This is why I dare say everyone else is here. So that's just a few of the people who sent us their thoughts, um, and thank you to everyone who did. And just to get a sense of how huge these protests are, so on Sunday, roughly one million people took to the streets in Hong Kong to protest. That's one in seven people in the city. So we're talking like a massive sea of just humans flooding the streets. And the protests started peaceful, right? These people are not trying to, you know, go out and riot. They're basically just demanding that this amendment not go through. But they got more violent on Monday and Tuesday when the Hong Kong government basically sent out riot police who started firing tear gas, rubber bullets, beanbags, things like that. And you started to see these really dramatic clashes. One video I saw just last night was incredible. You see these, like, falling tear gas canisters, basically, that are, like, smoking and giving off gas. And you see, like, a scramble of protesters running over with bottles of water to put them out quickly. And you just see them, like, raining down from the sky. It's phenomenal to watch. Some of these scenes are described in more voice memos that we've gotten from Hong Kong protesters. So I participated in the protest yesterday, and I wasn't in the front end. I was at the back helping out with supplies. And I was also in the area where the Civil Human Rights Front got approval from police. The assembly was considered as a peaceful and safe site of the protest because it was approved by the police. But that was also when the police fired a tear gas grenade at us without any warning. The only way to run away from the tear gases was to escape into a commercial building right next to the stage. There was only one door opened at the beginning, with more than thousands of people trying to rush into the building. So we 
retreated into the Citic Tower, and we tried to, you know, get through to the other side from the tear gas, and that was when the police also fired tear gas grenade on the other end, which means we were trapped inside Citic Tower. Thousands of people just trapped there, and with the police, you know, firing more and more grenades. There were people outside who were trying to get in, and then there were people who started to have asthma attacks inside Citic Tower because of the tear gas. And yet, at that moment, we were still so civilized in the way that we would just pass the message verbally, asking for an inhaler for the person who had an asthma attack. It's hard to listen to testimonials like that and not get a sense of how much risk these people are taking to defend what they see as their basic liberties from the Chinese government, to see how deeply invested Hong Kongers are in the maintenance of a separate system, a distinct one, from the repressive one you have in mainland China. And those differences are incredibly stark. So here's just one example. I mean, just last week was the 30th anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre, right, where many people died after a a protest was brutally quashed by the Chinese government. Now, anybody who wanted to mourn the victims 30 years later in Beijing, in Tiananmen Square, were rebuffed, right? Police presence was all over the place. No one is allowed to even mention even on social media. Like, it's completely taken out of the history books as far as mainland China is concerned. Meanwhile, in Hong Kong, like, there's a split screen. In Hong Kong, there's a candlelight vigil in honor of the victims and to remember the 30th anniversary. And by the way, that candlelight vigil happens annually. So this isn't just like, oh, there's a bit more freedom in Hong Kong versus elsewhere. Like, this is a stark difference. And so when people are wondering, and you may be wondering, like, why is everyone getting so worked up about amendments to an extradition law? Like, on the surface, it seems quite bland. But really, this is about a fight for freedom of expression and really democracy itself in China. And after the break, we're going to talk about how this plays into much bigger issues surrounding the future not only of Hong Kong, but mainland China itself. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back. So... Now we're going to put this Hong Kong conflict into a sort of perspective from a broader arc 
of Chinese history, right? Because the 1997 handover of Hong Kong was supposed to be part of a trend towards broader Chinese liberalization, towards a country that was getting increasingly prosperous and more comfortable with market economic mechanisms, also becoming more democratic, more politically liberal, in addition to more economically liberal. Only that's that's not what's happened, either in Hong Kong or in mainland China. Right. I remember even in my college years, and I'm very old, but I remember the prevailing belief among everyone who, at least I talked to, who studied China, articles at the time, scholars, everyone just kind of believed that through economic liberalization that China would gradually become more and more open, more and more free, um, more in the kind of way that we saw like after the fall of the Soviet Union, right? With this like opening economic liberalization leading to, you know, political and social liberalization. And like you said, that idea now is so ridiculously laughable as like something that would actually happen because we've seen President Xi Jinping just fairly recently declared himself leader for life, right? That's not democratic. <laughs> that is the literal opposite of democratic. And he's taken over and consolidated power over the past several years and become this increasingly harsh authoritarian leader that has cracked down hardcore on every kind of dissent possible. Yeah, I mean, just take one example, a really horrible example, and one we've talked about on the show before, which is just the treatment of the Uyghurs out west in China. I mean, it's a uh, heavily persecuted uh, Muslim group that are now in concentration camps um, in China. They are being cleansed. They are being re-educated, to use a horrible word. I mean, that's what the Chinese government is forcing on on these people. And, like, it's astounding to me to think that, like, American sort of strategy towards China, really since the Nixon era, was if we engage with China, they'll liberalize. And yet we've seen it take such a hard turn. And now this Hong Kong example is really the latest in just Beijing's long arm extending everywhere uh, in, in China. And and it's, it's in effect, those who kind of want democracy or representation or human rights in general, they're kind of losing. And that's a, a really bad sign. <laughs> So, of course, the question that this raises is why things didn't go according to plan, right? Like, why didn't Chinese political development mirror the sort of liberal economic development that you've seen in the country? The answer is complicated, obviously. Like, this is a big, big, big deal. But to my mind, I think the premises of the theory were mistaken, right? This idea that if you move towards a more private economic system at the same time, that will require people in power to give more power to the citizens in politics. That was mistaken, right? The reason why is that you can use political power to turn market forces into tools of state repression. The Great Firewall in China, the impositions it makes on foreign companies who want to do business there, the ways in which it forces its own companies to comply to its political standards, all of these are mechanisms of authoritarianism. They are not independent checks on state power, but rather private powers become an extension of state power in China. And you could also use those mechanisms and that control of the economy as leverage over the population, right? So basically, the way that China today operates is this kind of tacit agreement that, you know, the Chinese government says, hey, you let us run things, you sit there and take it, you don't say anything, you don't complain, and we will make sure that the economy grows and your bank accounts will grow, and your children and their children will have better opportunities. And so far, they've been able to deliver 
in many ways on that. You know, millions of people in China have been lifted out of poverty through globalization, through the you know economic liberalization. The question is, if that slows down, right, or if that doesn't work out so much, at a certain point, when do Chinese people in mainland China start going, okay, uh, we're not into this deal anymore, right? So there is that question of of how long that will hold. But for now, you know, we've seen that people are not, you know, rising up. People are not speaking out. And again, it goes back to the tools of state repression, right? It's not just the economy. They can literally disappear you, and they will. But to bring it back to Hong Kong just for a second, like, you know, it's an globally important financial hub, and people there are are quite wealthy, or at least, you know, live a decent middle-class life. And so, what is going on here? Well, the question is an issue of values and 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 democracy and the future of the region. And and like this has been a fight that's been going on forever. Like this is not a one-off. If if you're listening to this and you feel like you've heard this story before, it's because you have. Uh, there have been protests from in 2012 recently. There have been protests in uh, 2014. These massive ones that uh, fought a law a law change that led that basically allowed Beijing to help install the leader of Hong Kong. Which, by the way. It passed, and the leader of Hong Kong right now was installed through that law. So, like, it, it's in the DNA of Hong Kongers to keep fighting back against any even perceived little encroachment that Beijing has on the city. So let's keep an eye on the story, right? It is not only hugely important, but still developing. There are massive protests scheduled for the weekend, uh, and I expect that the issue of Hong Kong's democracy will not be one resolved this week. I want to thank... Our producer, Bird Pinkerton, for all of her hard work. I want to thank Johnny Harris, one of our Vox video stars, for helping us get all of these voices from Hong Kong into the episode. And I just want to say thank you once again to everyone in Hong Kong who was so incredibly brave and who reached out to us to share their stories, even in the face of fear. And a reminder that we are doing a live show on June 24th in the evening. Tickets are free. We will put a link to how to get them, though, in the show notes. 